Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of the waves crashing against a bay. But not just any bay. It's a Baywatch. Because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School. A podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And Morgan, let's get our surf on in this episode because Hell yeah. there's some surfing in this episode, am I right? Sure is. Yeah. Would you say this episode is mostly based around surfing? I mean, yeah, I think I would say so. I mean, it makes sense for an episode called Surf Derby, so. Yeah. Oh, shit. Was I supposed to be watching Surf Derby? I watched Shark <laughs> Derby. My bad. Oh, well, I guess we'll have to talk about sharks. Oopsie Um, doopsie. (laughs) I I love that so much. Um, So this is Shark Derby. This is the episode that we've been hyping up for a while. It's apparently the highest rated episode of Baywatch. Uh, Many people see it fondly. We'll see what we think. Um, Yeah, I have... Just to to foreshadow something that will happen later in this podcast, I have some theories about this episode that I'm very excited to get into. I am very excited to hear them. But first, let's talk about this episode a little bit. So this was written by Kate Boutier and Terry Irwin. Now, Terry Irwin, you know, we've watched quite a few episodes written by Terry. Terry feels like they write almost every other episode at this point. Kate mm-hmm. Boutier wrote Snake Eyes um, and has also written for a large amount of shows, uh, but predominantly children's shows like the Rugrats, the famous Jet Jackson, the Wild Thornberries. But she also created the show as told by Ginger, uh, which is a show I have very fond memories of. uh, And she's been nominated for multiple Emmys. uh, And it's kind of surprising that she also wrote this. Um, Now, this episode has a very special director because it is directed by the man himself, Gregory Bonin, creator of Baywatch. Um, This was the first episode that he directed, and he took all those years of being rejected, having the show rejected by networks and learning how to direct to finally direct this episode. Uh, And it was aired March 2nd, 1990. Now... Let's talk a little bit about the guest actors in this episode. So first, we have Peter Brown, who plays Bucky Allen. So Peter Brown was famous for mostly being a star in Westerns. So he was a secondary main character in all four seasons of the Western Lawman from 1958 to 1962. And then in 1965, he went on to star in a comedy Western called Laredo for two seasons. Then he was also in Western TV shows. I mean, those were TV shows, but other TV shows like Cheyenne, Wagon Train, and The Virginian. So he has a long career. By this point, it's a lot of Western. And so he's kind of playing against the type here. Now, next we have Michael Stoyanov, who plays Roy in this episode. Uh, so he is best known for his main character role on the show Blossom, which would start later this same year, alongside Mayim Bialik. This is about 1990 to 1995. So he was in 114 episodes of this show. And this was a big hit show for NBC. Um, this 
took Mayim Bialik to stardom, sort of, I guess. I mean, her other stardom is the Big Bang Theory, I think, but whatever. Mm. Um, and so in that show, she plays an Italian-American because Jews and Italians look the exact same. And <laughs> the point is that her family is all men. Uh, and her so Michael Stoyano plays her brother, as does Joey Lawrence. Um, and so she's dealing with all the shenanigans that come with men. Uh, so he, <laughs> he then left the show and took a writing gig for Late Night, Late Night with Conan O'Brien, which he, apparently he highly regretted. Uh, but then he would move on to Mad TV and Mr. Show and then be on Mr. Show, which you recognized him from. Yes. Well, so sort of. I recognized a different background character who I thought was this actor, but turned out not to be because they were both generic white men. That's how this works. <laughs> Currently, uh, Michael Stoyanov is on the hit show Billions, and he plays the role Terry Burke. Billions, I'm led to believe, is a really popular show that everybody watches, but I don't. Uh, yeah, can't say I've ever seen it. Now, let's take the cat out of the bag here. Watching, watching Cool Cat again. No, we're not. Um, <laughs> this is the last episode of Baywatch with Sean Weatherly, who plays Jill. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about Jill and her history. Mm -hmm. So Sean Weatherly, at this point, was disappointed with her role in the show. So she specifically called out that she was having more action scenes and speaking lines, and she wanted to do actual speaking. Uh, so she decided that after reading the scripts that she would leave the show after one season. Uh, and this is, this is her exit from the show. Yeah, boy, is it. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, how did she get here? So Sean Waterley was crowned Miss USA and Miss Universe in 1980, which led her to fame. And she was the last Miss USA to win Miss Universe until 1995. Um, from Miss Universe, she went on to star in a few bit roles. And then she was on a show called J.J. Starbuck, and she played a character called Jill Starbuck, hence the name Jill in Baywatch, uh, because sense. they watched the show and they liked her in that. She was also on a show called Ocean Quest. Uh, Ocean Quest was the first proto-reality TV show. Uh, in it, her and this director teamed up where she would swim with sharks, and they would film it, and they'd make it look like she was going to die or something. Uh, and it's kind of relevant to this episode. A um, little bit. Just, just a little bit. Now, after Baywatch... She didn't do much. She settled down, had some kids, didn't do a lot of acting. Her most recent role was in 2014 for a movie called Love in the Time of Monsters, uh, which sounds amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Ultimately, you know, Jill is one of those characters who feels important, but isn't. You know yeah. what I mean? I was really... I was really shocked when her leaving the show is revealed at the end of this episode. Um, A, because it comes out of absolutely nowhere, as yep. we talk about. Um, and B, because, yeah, like she, I assume she was a character throughout this entire show because she has main character vibes. Like, well, I mean, there's only like three or four people who stay the entire show length. You know, sure, but I assumed we'd have at least a couple more seasons. Gotcha. Yeah, no, she's got, you know, like Peter Phelps, she left early uh, and she's 
I I guess Peter Phelps isn't seen as a mainstay. I don't know if I think of yeah. him when I think of Baywatch. I guess she fit this prototype for early Baywatch um, that maybe... Well, I mean, her and Erica Leniak kind of set the bar for, like, I hate using this term, but the Baywatch babes. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think Jill was a character that really could have used a lot more time because uh, yeah. I enjoyed her when she was around, but they never really did anything with her. Yeah, I know. It feels so squandered, but... Hey, at least there's only uh, 10 more seasons of this. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Uh, With that in mind, Morgan, you want to take us into the episode? Yeah, let's do it. We open with some smooth jazz over shots of the beach when suddenly it's a shark. Um, We see a shark fin. And yep, that sets us up for the rest of this episode. Um, <laughs> this, this, it's, this scene is funny to me because it's a lot of nothing. Yes. Uh, it's r- like, one, it sets us up that Hobie wants to learn to fish. Great, don't care. It sets mm-hmm. us up that they're sharks. Okay, great. It also sets us up with the fact that the music in this episode sounds like someone decided to take the soundtrack to a Final Fantasy-like game and put it into Baywatch. Um yeah. Everything about this episode is weird. It's yeah, it's very weird. Yeah, this scene is basically like you said, you know, Mitch and Hobie are going fishing and Hobie catches a shark and Mitch alternates between saying, pull up, reel down, pull up, reel down, pull up, reel down, pull up, reel down. You got it, buddy. Pull up, reel down uh, until the line breaks. You see what he's actually doing here is he's teaching Hobie how to play the Dreamcast. (laughs) Because if you remember, the Dreamcast had a fishing peripheral where you would just go up, down, up, down, and then you stare at a screen and then you go, why am I playing this again? (laughs) It's like, I could have bought a PS2. Was the Dreamcast the one that had like a little mini handheld as its memory card? Mm hmm. Oh, man, that was such a cool console. The Dreamcast was ahead of its time, man. Like it's. Yeah. Like, Sega did a lot of cool things with it, uh, but the thing they forgot to do was make good games. Um, hey, it had Jet Set Radio. It had Seaman. <laughs> <laughs> do you know about Seaman? I don't. Seaman is a game where there's a fish who talks at you. And by Ooh. talks at you, I mean he is basically an insult comedy comedian who also does borscht belt jokes at you um (laughs) and he has a face like he grows a human face oh Uh, no i don't like that (laughs) yeah and he so he grows and evolves and you have to talk to him and feed him um yeah it's really weird uh but it's most famous for just being called (laughs) seaman uh and I know there's going to be some Dreamcast stands out there who are like, well, Michael, what about Shenmue? And I'm like, okay, Shenmue was ahead of its time. But then we got Yakuza, and those games are just better Shenmue. Anyways, continue. (laughs) Uh, Next up, we're at the shop with Court and Eddie. And Eddie and Court are having a little bet where they see who can hit a target better with a harpoon gun. Mm -hmm. Um. 
And then Eddie wins and court proposes that they join the shark derby because they could win twenty five thousand dollars. It doesn't seem worth it. But as it turns out. Yeah. No, I mean, (laughs) sure. Why not? No, it does. It does not seem worth it. Like twenty five thousand dollars for hunting a predator in the water. I don't know. It doesn't seem worth it. I mean, but as we see from a lot of the sharks later in the episode, when people are bringing them in, they're not that big. Most of them. Except for, yeah, except for like one or two of them. Yeah. But Eddie uh, rejects this plan because he hates sharks almost as much as he hates pain. And they bump (laughs) him out. Yeah. Um, And his feelings. He hates sharks more than his feelings. Almost. (laughs) Um. Shawnee and Jill spend some time on a tower talking about how Eddie's going to go join the shark derby instead of going shopping for wedding clothes. And it turns out that Jill used to fish a lot. And we get a very long story about that. Wait, wedding clothes? Yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, Shawnee's like, can you believe it, Jill? Eddie wants to go join this shark derby instead of going with me to buy clothes for his wedding. Oh, I think they cut that line out. Oh, that's <laughs> weird. Is it really? I, I like. I was like, wait, are they going to get married? I, the part I remember was they talk about wearing. Je- oh, maybe that's why they talk about wearing jeans. Sure, is. formal events. Okay, yep. so much of this episode, I was just like, okay, okay, Baywatch. Sure. Yeah. Yep. A lot of this, I was like, please, please get back to the shark crime. I want to see more <laughs> shark crime. Um, but yeah, we get a very long story about how Jill used to go fishing, and it's kind of boring. It is. Uh, Shawnee has very much a, you're a weirdo kind of reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I didn't think women fished. And it's, yeah, it's, uh it's annoying. And it doesn't end up mattering. Like, so when they told this story, I was assuming that Jill was going to be fishing at any point during this episode. Um, mm. But she sure isn't. <laughs> no, what the scene is more important for is uh, setting up the callback. It's not a callback. It's a call forward uh, to the book Wuthering Heights. Now, oh, okay. uh, do you remember this part? Uh, of Wuthering Heights, a book I've never read? No, but of them talking about Wuthering Heights. No, I don't. Oh, okay. So in this, she talks about, so she goes fishing as a kid uh, and she sits there all day with a book and she's reading and fishing and she caught a bass uh, and uh, she never finished Wuthering Heights. And she really wonders just, you know, how that book ended. Uh, Now, this is a weird reference because Baywatch is not the kind of show that just brings up something that's not related to its plot later on. But in this case, it does, because the ending of Wuthering Heights has nothing to do with the plot of this episode, thematically or anything. Um, The ending of Wuthering Heights involves going to visit people at a grave. It has nothing to do with sharks. It has nothing to do with, like, the water. Um, It it doesn't even have anything to do with, like, the Kate Bush song, Wuthering Heights. Like, there's no (laughs) Wuthering Heights reference that makes sense here other than someone probably just read the book and was like man i really want people to know i'm cool uh (laughs) so this scene is yet again pointless Mm -hmm. yeah it 
nothing really happens in the first like 10 minutes of this episode. This episode, like before I knew it, I was at the 20 minute mark and I was like, what happened? (laughs) But when things start happening, they sort of happen. Yes. (laughs) Um, Next up, Mitch and Eddie are working out and talking about shark derby (laughs) and courts there, too. And Mitch doesn't like the organizer, Bucky Allen, and thinks that he's sleazy. Um, I mean, and then he's a capitalist. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't disagree with Mitch on any of the things he says about no. Bucky Allen in this scene. No. <laughs> um, but now we get to see Bucky Allen. Um, and he's ordering T-shirts for the Shark Derby and also some plastic sharks for the kids. But to show how bad of a guy he is, he doesn't care if these plastic sharks break or not. Which that's the one the one moment of his whole character where I'm like, uh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like they're just yeah. a one off plastic shark. Like, who cares? Yeah. So this scene um is actually where my grand unified theory of this episode begins. Ooh. Um because his nephews maybe show up to do crime for him. Um and this is where I became convinced that this episode is actually an episode of DuckTales and Ooh. I am going to support that with further evidence throughout this entire episode and also I will be referring to the nephews as Huey and Louie. Um, because they don't ever say their names in the episode. They do, actually. Really? I'm bad at listening for names, I guess. They're Roy and Matt. (laughs) And I can tell you that, uh, Matt is the one who looks like he styled his hair with a fork. And Roy (laughs) and, uh, and, uh, Matt is the other one. Matt is the older one who's just like, always like, no, we'll take the money. And Roy is the one who is the older one who is always saying like, I'll take the money, whatever. So you have Roy and Matt, but Huey, wait, are we going to do Huey Dewey or Huey Louie, Dewey Louie, Huey Lewis? Like, what are we doing? I have them written as Huey and Louie, but I've also never seen DuckTales. Um, What the fuck? (laughs) So you have a theory about a thing you've never seen. Yes. At least when I do like these grand Pokemon unified theories, I have seen Pokemon. (laughs) True, true. But I suspect that mine is going to be significantly uh, more accurate. Better. Okay. Um, because I can infer whatever into DuckTales I want, and by inferring it, I will make it real, and therefore, uh, you'll you'll see how this all fits together. To quote the Killian experience on YouTube, uh, there may be other opinions, however, I disagree <laughs> with all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So tell us tell us about Huey and Louie. Well, first off, they go chum the water to drum up some sharks. Just mm. getting on a boat, pouring out meat into the ocean. Mm, that's what I do every day. I just pour, pour some of my meat out into the ocean. You know me. <laughs> just me and my chums chumming. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that so much. I want to name something Chums Chummin. Oh, uh, it should be it should be like a fancy British villain. It, I'm Chums well, Chummin. Well, that's probably why the Chum Bucket in SpongeBob belongs to Plankton, the villain, because Chum oh. is just an evil word. You know, it feels evil. That is a really good point. 
maybe your DuckTales theory also ties in with SpongeBob. Could be. Well, yeah, because I don't I don't actually think this episode is entirely DuckTales. I think it is an amalgamation of a couple different animated properties. And I think we could work SpongeBob in here. Well, there is, you know, actually a canon Baywatch appearance in SpongeBob. You know about that? I do. I that I saw the SpongeBob movie in theaters as a kid. Oh, I have still not seen it, so maybe we have to record that for the, for the podcast. <laughs> Honestly, it's pretty good. Like just like unironically good. Yeah. I mean, I love SpongeBob. So, tell us what happens next. What happens next is that uh Shawnee is telling Craig about some new sunscreen she got when Ooh. Craig sees a shark. And we get the goofiest, most dramatic zoom in on his face. <laughs> and it's so good. It's amazing. It's tonally off. Yeah. It's the um it's that gif of the um the guy like doing a 90 degree turn to camera and his face going like Whoa! as explosions happen around him. It's yep. that gif, but in a real TV show. Honestly, we should gift this and start using it around the Internet. I'm so down. Oh, yeah. Just like Craig and Shawnee are down to warn the surfers about (laughs) sharks. (laughs) Um, So they run down to the water to go warn everyone. But it's too late. Surf's up. Um, (laughs) One of the surfers puts his foot off the board into the water and almost gets bit by a shark. And then Craig puts the surfer on his board and paddles both of them to the shore. And this is the guy who I thought was actually one of the DuckTales nephews. What is the point of this? Okay, so Craig shouts at him to get out of the water. But what is he going to do here? And then Craig tells him to get on his board, which does what? Like, the dude already has a board and a shark is around him. So it's like, is the shark like, oh, no. Off-brand Dana Carvey is here. I can't bite him. He was a master of disguise. He may be a shark. I don't, like, what is, what is, how does this help this person? The the most generous reading I can give this scene, Mm -hmm. and, and I'm being extremely generous here because it is not reflected in the show itself, is that this man is, like, paralyzingly afraid of sharks, and when the shark shows up, he's, like, unable to move and unable to make it back to the beach, Except that that's not the case. And we see him like just casually sit up on his board and just kind of like look around and be like, who um, until Craig needs him to be afraid. This this reminds me. So you you understand the basic concept of kayfabe, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So for anybody who doesn't know out there, uh, kayfabe is the concept in wrestling of like the division between what is real like and what is scripted on the show. So like, you know, uh uh, like on the show, John Cena is an is like a as a rapper esque guy, but in real life, he's just like John Cena, the normal dude, kayfabe, right? Mm-hmm. So, to you know, like the doing moves in wrestling is like unrealistic. Like you, you have to have the other person help you on some of these moves. Um, so there's this running joke about in kayfabe explaining how moves work and how they hurt. Uh, So there's this guy, William Regal, 
who's this you know, great wrestler, but took like a magic role, who does this thing where he's like, oh, yeah, you have to understand, like the six backflips he did before he raked his back really up the momentum. You see, <laughs> as the, the torsion in the arms from each backflip, it really uh, tenses up the muscle so that when he does the back rake, his hands and wrists just release at a rate that is so much more powerful than he normally would. You know, things like that, uh, which is how you just described <laughs> this scenario. Like, yeah. there is no way in which you telling the guy who's already on his surfboard to get on your surfboard and then be encumbered by two people's weight on a surfboard is going to help you get away from a shark. Yeah, I uh, I have no idea of the logic in this show sometimes. A lot of the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Next up, uh, Craig's doing an interview about having rescued all these people. Um, One person. Yeah, exactly. Jill saved everyone else by like warning them that the shark was coming but uh-huh. Craig's the man he gets the interview um mm-hmm. and the media is trying to make it sound really scary but Mitch is just not having it after yep. all they've never had a shark attack but he thinks <laughs> the shark derby is gonna make it more dangerous thus continuing our trend of the show just being like Five minutes into the episode, okay, here's the entire plot. We're going to have Mitch literally say the entire plot to you, and Mm -hmm. hope you're paying attention, uh, because we will repeat it over and over again. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Look, this is how I know what I'm watching, and, like, otherwise I'm worried. I'm like, oh, no, am I watching The Expanse? (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm watching Baywatch. Now I know. Yeah. No, all we're watching this show is The Expansive Blue Ocean. I am I watching was wasn't there a show called Blue Ocean? I don't I don't probably into the blue into the blue. That's what Ah, I'm thinking of. Okay, yeah. Look, okay. I'm not the pun. I'm not the pun guy. That's Morgan. Okay, I don't I don't do this. Yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, Believe me, if this podcast had two pun guys, it would be insufferable. Um. (laughs) Make that into a pun. (laughs) Yeah, uh, man, I did briefly think about trying to, and then I didn't. Uh, Good. But you know who is thinking about doing something? Why, it's Bucky, because Mm -hmm. he's hatching up a little plan to go make the Shark Derby happen outside of his restaurant or make it bigger or something. He actually doesn't (laughs) explain his plan here other than to go tell Huey and Louie to go put a transmitter on a bucket of or a barrel of chum and stick it in the water outside of his restaurant. (laughs) I will never not laugh at the word chum. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's so good. Um, And then this next episode, or this next scene, rather, um, is where the next part of my theory ties in, uh, which is that I believe Mitch is uh, the Beagle Boys. Um. Because okay. he is trying to interfere with Bucky's plan, a.k.a. Scrooge Mc- McDuck's plan. Oh, okay. Okay, I see where you're going. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's not that much more to my theory, to be honest. Um, except for one part. Don't spoil on. it. Don't spoil <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I like this scene because Bucky accuses Mitch of, mm-hmm. of being a righteous lifeguard. Um, which, I mean, like, yeah, it's not like you're you're doing it to be like, I make all this money, man, like just lifeguard extravagant lifestyle. Like, no, yeah. you're you're doing it because like I maybe it's like to look at 
you know, people on the beach, you know, but otherwise it's to save people. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, Mitch says he needs more time to investigate what's going on because of all the sharks. And Bucky says he's not going to cancel the derby. He thinks that, or he says the reason is, is that he's resolving the problem by having people kill the sharks, which yeah. in some sort of twisted way, yes, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. Next up, uh, we get some nephew shark crime, yep. uh, which is that Huey and Louie are planting the chum barrel with the transistor in the water, <laughs> and we do get to see it. And then this It's a great sentence. That's such a great sentence. <laughs> planting the chum barrel with the transistor. Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I... I I will give this episode some serious points for how goofy it is. Um, ten out of chum, chum out of ten. <laughs> it's a real goofy movie. Um, I, I I I would say that this is very chumly. Sure I don't know. is that that's a descriptor people <laughs> use, right? It's a real pawn shop of an episode. Mm-hmm. Pawn stars, pawn stars. That's what I meant. It's a real. Shop of Horrors. <laughs> I what? Okay. <laughs> well, I, I I don't know, man. Next up, uh, Mitch and Amanda are having some breakfast, and Hobie decides that he's going to be their waiter so that he can try and curry favor with Mitch, because mm-hmm. um, he, he wants to enter the Shark Derby. Uh, but Mitch says no; it's too dangerous, and Hobie says. But someone is sponsoring me. And then immediately Thorpe walks in just right away. Yep. <laughs> and Amanda is also like, Mitch, you should listen to him. Like, yeah. Wow. When does this relationship progress to that point? <laughs> I was also very surprised that she was encouraging Hobie to go be part of the Shark Derby. You're a teacher. Like, you're educated. You should know not to do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it turns out Thorpe is Hobie's sponsor, uh, and he's going to be piloting the boat so that Hobie can go fishing for sharks. And this convinces Mitch, and then Thorpe goes, smile, old man, you did the right thing. Um, and but it's when he so says good. that, it's him and Amanda and Hobie all staying together like a, like a, like a holiday Christmas card or something, yeah. staring at Mitch, and Mitch is just like... I guess I have to give in. Uh, no, you don't. Your kid is going to get hurt by sharks. Don't do this. I know. It's it's weird how much Thorpe has started to take the role of, like, Hobie's uncomfortable grandfather. Um, he, uh, so, again, you have no reference for this, but, of course, this is also a Dragon Ball Z podcast. <laughs> he is the piccolo of the show. Hobie is the Gohan Super strong, untapped potential, set to be stronger than his dad, Mitch, you know. And to train him, Piccolo uh, puts him in front of a dinosaur. uh, And then uh, when he turns into an ape, uh, blows up the moon. I'm sure this is relevant. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, But now... Now we get a very important scene, which is that we get to see a shark go to Huey and Louie's shark crime barrel. And then the scene's (laughs) over. 
<laughs> he doesn't. He wants the chum. <laughs> but now, now it's time for the shark derby. What did you, by the way, when you heard that there is a shark derby, maybe it was just me. Like I knew, I knew the twist of this episode, but I didn't know the main plot that well. So I imagined, uh, Maybe this is my ignorance. I mean, it is uh, a bunch of dudes on motorcycles in a cage spinning around while sharks try and bite at them. <laughs> I did not imagine that, but now I am. And I do wish it was the main plot. Right. And there's like flamethrowers shooting flames at them. And they're like, I got to avoid the sharks and the flames. Yeah. No, my my first thought on hearing shark derby was roller derby. And I was like, I can't wait to see how they're going to mix roller skating and sharks together. And I'm also sad that we didn't get that. Well, you know, I know how they would have done it. It would have just been the sharks from Greece. Yeah, yeah. It was just them snapping at people, <laughs> just snapping at Mitch. And Mitch is like, I hate it when those guys snap at me. They just, I really don't like it. And then uh, Jill still dies. Or, yeah. spoilers, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> um... Also, aren't the sharks from West Side Story, not Greece? You're right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It's the sharks and the jets from West Side Story. Yes. Why did I say Greece? I don't know. <laughs> Out there, there was someone getting very upset a few seconds ago and mm. going to be less upset now. Oh, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. Famously, no one ever writes in to correct a podcast, having only heard part of the podcast. Um. Hasn't <laughs> happened yet. <laughs> There's time. True. That's true. Please write in if you're upset or just tweet us at Rookie School Pod and tell us how upset you are. Mm -hmm. All about that engagement, baby. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so my assumption at this point in the episode was that the plan was that this chum barrel was raided with like a <laughs> detonator and right. it was going to have it explode. And then one of like one of his crime nephews could catch the biggest shark that way. And he would be able to keep the prize for himself or something. Ah, that makes sense. It makes a lot more sense than what the actual plan is in this episode. Right. Cause um, I think his, his idea is he's going to make up all the prize money on like bar tabs. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that seems odd. And just like, generally more business to his restaurant or something. Uh, yeah, like how like maybe he's going to get twenty five thousand dollars worth of business. It is Malibu, but I, I don't know. That seems like a stretch. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But yeah, we see that Shawnee doesn't like Eddie going off to the shark derby, but court says some tough guy shit and now Shawnee's OK with it. Actually, I just had an idea, Morgan. Yes. Unified Baywatch theory. What if the $25,000 is money from the armored car? Ooh. Because we know the car sank and the money was there in saves. Yeah. But what if the money is there also with the sharks and one of the sharks ate it? And if you catch the shark, he then pulls the money out of its stomach and there's your money. So I'm going to I'm going to back you up on this. <laughs> Because when Bucky announces the Shark Derby's beginning, there are two models in the background who I'm pretty sure are the same two models from the Armored Car episode. Ooh, okay. Well, I'm going to double check that later. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. I mean, I'm sure they actually aren't, but I. it was very, it was shot very much the same way. And it's just two attractive women 
in very skimpy swimsuits standing next to a bunch of money at the end of a pier. So the parallels are obvious. <laughs> we've all been there. <laughs> Just, <laughs> we've, all, we've all been in one of those situations. Oh, yeah. Every day. Now we get to see Hobie going off to go shark hunting with Captain Thorpe. And Amanda has brought him a paper bag with his favorite snack in it, peanut butter and cookies. This relationship just escalated so goddamn fast. What the hell? Like a few episodes ago, you were concerned about this, like your teacher also being or dating your dad. And now you're just like, make me food. Yeah. Also, like if you're going to go out shark hunting for an entire day and you're a 13 year old kid, you should probably feed them something other than peanut butter and cookies. Like, yeah, like Capri Sun. <laughs> or like... Exactly. Uh, uh, what's it called? Hawaiian Punch, because you're surfing, bro. True, true. You gotta you're at least, not. You got to at least get some fruit snacks in there so that you get your five a day of fruit and vegetable. Oh, uh, yeah. Gushers. I mean, mm-hmm. they're real fruit juice, thus real fruit nutrition. Oh, yeah. They're the chum of the vegetable world. <laughs> no. Wait, vegetables. (laughs) Yeah, I realized it after I said it, but, you know. (laughs) That makes it better. Sometimes you just have to live with your mistakes. (laughs) Well, I know what else is a mistake. This shark derby montage? No, I was going to say there's another shark going for a barrel, and it's being uh, frenzied by this ultrasound, and that Mm -hmm. may be a mistake. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this transmitter is really getting these sharks riled up Mm -hmm. um but now we get a shark derby montage and it is much shorter than i was expecting it to be (laughs) yeah basically just like a couple shots of boats and then we're done yep i think they actually removed that from my part it was they just show shark footage and then mitch puts up a sign oh okay yeah there's there's like a minute worth of just like footage of boats going fishing Oh, that's lame. Yeah, it's not exciting. Um, But yeah, like you said, Mitch is putting up a sign on the beach telling everyone that there's sharks and they should stay out of the water. And Jill is like, no one's going to listen to that sign. Like, why are you bothering to do this? Also, how would they not know? (laughs) Yeah. But now we get to see that Eddie and Court have an early lead in the derby. They've brought home the biggest shark so far. Um, This shark... Like, this looks like a goblin. Okay, so I I know a tiny bit about sharks. Not a lot about sharks. More than I know. This looks like a Japanese goblin shark, which doesn't make sense for Malibu um, because it's a Japanese goblin shark. Uh, And I'm very worried also by the fact of that looks like a real goddamn shark. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So a lot of the sharks in this episode... Both the ones we see in the water and the ones that they've caught did look real. And I was a little bit concerned, especially when uh, Bucky, during the launch of the shark derby, was like, we're eating shark for the next month at my restaurant. And I was like, isn't that illegal? Like, I'm pretty sure you're not allowed to eat shark. But no, you could have like, I think shark fin soup is I mean, in America. I think it's legal. It's not in Japan, but it is here. Oh, like in okay. Japan, there's issues against uh, there's all these issues with whaling and such. Uh, I mean, there's a, a whole South Park episode about Japanese whaling. Um, but 
uh, in America, like you can get shark fin soup. I think I've gone to like a Chinese restaurant before and they've had shark fin soup on the menu. Okay. Um, I think otherwise someone shut shut down these restaurants. Um, <laughs> but uh, I wonder if they were actually like people, you know, uh, not reeled in, but like caught these sharks. And then they were like, can you just give us your sharks, please? Uh, mm-hmm. And we'll use them for the episode. Uh, because <laughs> otherwise, like, there's no way that they got this realistic of fake sharks for this episode. Yeah, given how bad the special effects have been in every other episode of this TV show. Whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) the Night Puncher looks uh, realistic or something. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what effects there are in this show. (laughs) Yeah, I guess actually now that I think about it, it's not like there's been that many. Um I, I think the most effects we've ever gotten were like Eddie's dream sequences. <laughs> Doesn't take a whole lot of CGI to make up edible wet dreams. Oh my God. That's uh, my motto. That's my <laughs> motto for life. <laughs> Sounds like a very useful motto that is applicable in lots of situations. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean, I can't. <laughs> I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I, I just can't make any more Oedipus jokes. Yeah, that's probably good. Um, probably. probably the best. <laughs> probably. Next up, we've got a bunch of kids roughhousing in a raft when a shark shows up and everyone starts panicking. Um, and then we get a lot of shots that start off in slow-mo and then move to normal speed. These are very funny to me. <laughs> They're so funny. They make no <laughs> sense. It'll like so it'll be like a two-second shot of Jill running, and the first like half of it will be played at like 0.25x, and then it'll mm-hmm. go over the course of like a couple hundred milliseconds, if that, it'll go straight back up to full speed. And I really thought, like, my file was bad or something, because it makes no oh, same. sense. Like, what, the way it happens is she'll sort of do things where it's like, she'll shout, get out of the war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. It's so funny. She, what else is funny also is she runs a really long time horizontally uh, before yeah. she actually shows up to, to them. And I'm like, couldn't you have just gone at like, you know, the, the path of least resistance and just diagonally gone into the water? She's like, nah, I got to run for a while. You well, got to know. So the one time we see her swimming in this episode, like as a top down shot instead of an underwater shot, she's swimming incredibly slowly. So she oh, yeah. just be a bad swimmer. Um <laughs> look, she hasn't mathematically calculated the you know the waves or the, the currents yet, you know, and until she does, she's just not ready to tackle it. I know. Yeah, it's just, you know, not enough of lifeguarding is spent swimming and around water. So I mean really when should when would she have ever had the chance to uh develop that skill? She 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 failed her skill check. Okay, yeah, sim- <laughs> simply. But yeah, she uh, she eventually gets to the raft, and the raft flips over, and then the rescue keeps going for a long time, and a boat shows up. Um, but then Jill- wait, wait before the, before before the boat shows up, there, there there are so many small funny as hell moments to me here. Oh yeah, um, one of them is the boat tips and. 
Jill grabs a kid uh, and then for some reason she has all of this random characterization she's never had before in this episode. Mm -hmm. And one of them is she grabs the kid and just goes, hold on to me, baby, hold on to me. Uh, And I'm like, what? (laughs) This, like, just the way she talks is so weird. Like she knew she needed to go out with a bang. uh, So she tried really hard to act her darndest. Oh yeah. And I'm not sure it paid off. no, I also want to talk about the fact that, so there's four kids in the raft originally, um, but we only ever see one kid after the first shot, and I don't know what happened to the other three children, because they are gone from this shoot before the rescue boat shows up. Wait a second. Are you? No. No, no, no. No, no, no. Wait a second. Now I'm checking this. Wait a second. We don't see them after the initial shot of the raft flipping because I kept looking okay. at them. I I see what happens here. So what happens is uh, they swim out farther into the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one sticks by. So ultimately, they're probably dead. Yeah. It. I was very confused and very concerned for them in this entire scene. I kept being like, where the hell are the other three children? Like, yeah, because the rescue boat only, the rescue boat we have not yet mentioned, uh, only gets one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this is bonkers. The rest of this scene is like, so Jill like throws the one kid into the boat uh, and Shawnee like grabs the kid and pulls him on the boat. And then Shawnee and Jill just like stare at each other for a while while Jill stand or like floats in the water and Shawnee screams, get into the boat, get into the boat. And Jill like looks at her and nothing happens. And then we see a shark fin and then we see some more of Shawnee yelling at Jill and not making any moves to help Jill or Jill doing anything. And then Jill gets bitten by the shark and pulled underwater And then suddenly Mitch is there, and so he dives in to go find her, um, and he sees her, like, floaty can thing floating on the water, so he swims over to it, and, but the string is broken, and it's bitten off, um, and then we get this really, like, so, what's interesting is I actually think, (laughs) I actually think the section of this scene between where Jill gets bitten and pulled underwater, and the last camera movement of this scene is actually really good. Like, I think it's, I think it's played very seriously and I think it's the possibly like most well done a dramatic scene has been in this show so far. But then, then we get a shot and I'm curious if this was as funny to you as it was to me. Um, we get a shot of Mitch floating in the water with two floaties, one on either side of him And the camera just, like, slowly pans out from him as there's two floaties on either side of him. And he has this, like, super anxious, depressed look on his face. And it was just really funny to me. Like, it it felt very surrealist because we don't see anything else. We just see the water, Mitch, and these two floaties as the camera slowly, like, pans up in a crane shot. And we see less and less of him. I am so glad you brought that up because (laughs) I had to pause the episode 
go lay down on my bed and hold myself because I was laughing so goddamn hard because like it's so like okay yeah there's parts of this is like real like David Hasselhoff's acting is pretty decent yeah. for this scene um He's like uh, looking for Jill and he's shouting, Jill, Jill. And but then they get to this shot as they zoom out. And it's just so funny. Like, I I cannot explain just how hilarious yeah. this shot is. And they cut to commercial on that shot. I know. Oh, my God. Like, OK, like I this whole scene is maybe it's because it's us and we're the people who we are. Sure. But this was pure comedy gold, this entire scene. This random slow-mos, Shawnee shouting bloody murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, they cut it down a little bit, so it's not like Jill staring at Shawnee for as long. But it is still there, and it's still funny. Yeah. Uh, and then Mitch's, like, the moment where everything gets serious, and you're like, Mitch is really scared. Scared, yeah, and then the zoom out, and you're like, never mind. <laughs> it's so goddamn good. Yeah, and if I could, if I could frame this this section of this episode oh, in like a capsule, I would open it every day when I'm feeling bad, and I would just feel so goddamn good. <laughs> it's just, oh man, like it's it's truly so funny. The image of Mitch just like alone in the ocean. And what's especially funny is so the shot before we cut to Mitch, um, like going to where Jill's buoy is, he's right next to the rescue boat. But as we Mm -hmm. pan out, we don't see the rescue boat. It's just him. And so (laughs) the only thing I can envision is that Shawnee was like, well, guess Jill's dead. Time to go. Or, or. How about this instead? The boat was a figment of his imagination. Mm. What if what what if instead what happened was Shawnee never came to save Jill? What happened is Mitch swam out seeing Jill and she just disappeared. Like the kid swam off with all the other kids, right? Because yeah. we see three kids that just disappeared. Maybe this last kid disappeared also. And Mitch imagined it. And this is like his trauma experience where he's making up all of this, like the boat and the the kid just Jill got bitten by a shark. That's it. Like it is a bit of a stretch, but I like to think that this show is all about the meta. I'm I'm going to offer another alternate theory, which ties this into my grand unified theory of this entire episode being an episode of a cartoon. Uh, which is that this boat follows Roadrunner logic, where okay. it stops existing um, as soon as you stop noticing it. Ah, uh-huh. and so that's why it goes away because Mitch is now too focused on Jill. Okay, so to keep with the um, you know the anime theories that we've mm-hmm. established for this show, maybe it's um, maybe Jill's a Pokemon. Ooh, maybe. Maybe. Maybe maybe Jill is that Lapras that we talked about before who's shooting that ice beam. Yeah. I mean, that's just a theory, a game theory. But <laughs> actually, it's not a game theory because there's no video game here. But well, maybe. 
as we know, this whole scene is a real prisoner's dilemma. Because it's game theory. Oh, okay. That... (laughs) That was like that was a good joke. Like it took me a second, but that's a pretty darn good joke. I respect. I respect that. I respect Thanks. that. You shouldn't. It was not good. <laughs> I I still do, and that's that's the conceit of this show. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, I wanted to bring up another anime reference, but mm-hmm. I'm not really sure. You know what? Fuck it. Okay, this is this is Shark Derby. This is the greatest episode of television ever made. So we can. We could take the time to make some anime references. How much do you know about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? I've read the first book. What? You have? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's shocking, but <laughs> doesn't play into this at all. So, great. Um, in part three of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, uh, they introduce stands, which are uh, ephemeral spirit things that certain people possess that have powers and fight um and there's a section of this that's all aquatic uh, of the sh- of the season that's all aquatic uh so first they meet an orangutan whose stand is a boat uh so he summons a boat okay. and he's on a boat and they beat up an orangutan and then the boat disappears that part's great and then they go underwater uh and the stand is uh, a giant face uh, that shoots things at people, um, which, you know, great. That sure. makes that makes perfect sense. Um, but as you go through more and more, uh, you get these crazier stand powers. And I'd like to posit that maybe Jill is Mitch's stand. Mm. Other people who have stands can see, can, can they can see it because anybody who has a stand can see a stand. Like, that's just the, the fiction of the universe. But maybe she is a... Is a you know, ephemeral projection of Mitch's spirit, you know, strong willed, good at math, uh, uh, a questionable, uh, questionable at dating a little bit, you know, <laughs> kind of dates, date some people that maybe aren't the greatest, sure. um, you know, good swimmer, uh, just a hit with the sharks. Uh, I think that maybe all of this isn't of actually a figment of his imagination. It's she's real. Because she's him. Mm, yeah. But that's think, just a theory. I <laughs> a think theory. Any of, all of these theories are equally likely. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> but then the commercial, after the commercial break, all of that gets disproven. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because we see Jill in a hospital laying in bed, uh, hooked up to a metronome. Well, Mitch and Shawnee get sad over her. Um <laughs> The the trope of all hospital machines beep at a consistent pace drives me bananas because I'm not a medical professional, but from what I understand, actually, if everything's like operating normally, they very deliberately don't beep because that way if you hear beeping and you're a doctor, you know that something is wrong. That makes sense. Um, but I mean, in, I've been in a hospital before. I don't remember the beeping. Yeah. No, I mean, I have as well, and I don't either, so. Maybe, maybe the beeping is actually (laughs) our stand. Maybe it's a projection of our soul. No. No, it's not. That's not how JoJo works. Yeah. No, no. My anime is too good for this. Mm Mm-hmm. But at this point, the doctor walks in and is like, we're not sure if Jill's going to make it. Um, but then she walks out of the room and Jill immediately wakes up and goes like, don't worry, guys, I'm fine. 
and definitely not gonna die in like 20 minutes the scene was so stupid it was so dumb and then mitch and shawnee walk out of uh jill's hospital room and tell the rest of the cast don't worry she's fine she's not gonna die um and everyone hugs and is glad that she's not gonna die and then court and eddie are like we regret ever getting involved in the shark derby well they regret it because they they see bucky on tv and he says he set up a fund for jill and Mm -hmm. he's gonna donate all like excess bar tabs from the third day of the derby to jill and He's going to accept late entry so more people can kill Mm -hmm. sharks. And that's what Eddie and Court are like. I don't like this guy. And even Captain Thorpe says, yeah, I'm starting to think I don't like this guy either. And I'm like, wait, you like you made Thorpe seem human for a moment. Like you're really bad if you make Thorpe not the bad guy. Yeah. The, The bit you mentioned about Bucky being like, like, literally what he says is, I'm going to donate the bar tabs from the third day of the Shark Derby to help Jill. And it was such a just, like, it, it was an impressive critique of capitalism from these writers who have not proven themselves to be capable of an impressive anything. Whoa, whoa, uh, whoa. Kate <laughs> Bautier wrote As Told by Ginger, a show about a girl in high school. If anything to- is capitalistic, it's high school. <laughs> but- and, and, and... Nothing screams capitalism more than a theme song by Macy Gray. Yeah. Yeah. You can't argue with that. You can't sure argue. Can't. Sure can't. Mostly because nope. I don't know anything about the show or its theme song. <laughs> okay. Well, you, we'll change that later, I sure. think. It's not necessarily... No, it is worth it. Fuck it. Anyways, continue. <laughs> um, but yeah, just that, like, I'm going to do the absolute barest minimum to the point where it barely even counts as doing anything and... Yep. Doesn't that absolve me of any responsibility for the bad things I've done? And I was like, Ugh. yep, that's capitalism, baby. Um, it's 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 weak capitalism, but it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next scene is uh, Mitch goes to talk to Bucky, but he is just not going to budge on this one. And this is where we get the final part of my theory, which is that Bucky's line in response is, ha ha ha. You'd really like to believe that, wouldn't you? And it was exactly a Woody the Woodpecker laugh. And that was why I thought <laughs> this whole thing was a cartoon show. Well, what if what if this is the uh, like middle or late 2010s Woody Woodpecker live action movie that was Ooh. only released in Brazil, Could but be. is streaming online? Have you seen this? I've shown you some of this. Yeah, you've, you've shown me this movie. Uh, this is the worst, like maybe the worst movie ever. It is. Do not watch that. movie. Okay, do actually do watch <laughs> it. It's funny because it's so fucking bad. Yeah. Like Woody the Woodpecker is the most annoying character to have ever been created in the history of this planet. And what if we animated him and then put him around actual humans? That is a mistake. Um, but anyways, Bucky also accuses Mitch of, uh, telling people how to live their lives, uh, which also just seems like something an evil capitalist would say. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then basically just Mitch is like, I'll be back. And then Huey and Louie come up and express their regrets about the shark crime. But then we get more shark footage. (laughs) We sure do. (laughs) Um, but then Mitch is constructing a shark cage and searching for national treasure. 
Okay, so do do you think he built this shark cage or they already had a shark cage? I feel like the show wants us to think that he built it, but I definitely don't believe that he did. No, he did. This man's primary job is that he's a lifeguard. There's no way he knows how to build a shark cage. Mm -hmm. Also, in half a day. Yeah, (laughs) it, it absolutely does not make sense. Now... On the other hand, if they already had the shark cage, what were they using the shark cage for? Yeah, I it. Yeah. The internal logic of this episode does not hold together. (laughs) I'm going to add to your theory. I'm going to add to your theory. Your grand unified theory. Please. Okay. so you know how a Scrooge McDuck, Mm -hmm. he just has this giant vault of money. He Mm -hmm. swims in the money. Well, what if that vault is underwater and the reason you have to swim through it it's because it's in the water. Now, he has that shark cage to get down to the vault where the money is. Mitch is Ooh. Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, could be. <laughs> or. <laughs> <laughs> but the problem is then he doesn't have Huey and Louie as his nephews. But it could be it could be um, a thing where both Bucky and Mitch are Scrooge McDuck and they just. Um, like sometimes one of them is possessed by Scrooge McDuck and sometimes the other one is. You're thinking about this too hard. Look, Morgan, (laughs) Bucky is Mitch's stand. Mm. Now he has more than one stand. (laughs) It's Jill and Bucky. God. This is this is how he becomes Darkwing <laughs> Duck. You know, he has the yeah. dark side of his character and the Ooh. light side. Yeah, exactly. You know, Bucky is the dark and Jill is the light, and together they form this like weird nineteen early nineteen nineties appropriative idea of what a yin yang is. Yeah, sounds right to me. But yeah, uh, Mitch, Court, and Eddie uh, go down in the shark cage, and then we get a bunch of beautiful shark footage for a mm-hmm. while. And one of the sharks bites the cage. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's cool. It's fine. It goes on for too long. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But then they go back up to land and tell Garner that they all saw about 30 sharks, which is too many sharks. Um, (laughs) But also, somehow, they brought audio recording gear down with them, and it picked up the transmitter um, that is on the chum barrel. They, they okay, so they brought basically a Walkman down yes. there, and we're like, it can pick up ultrasonic, and it's like, no, it can't. Yeah, it 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 no. Yeah, I it it does not make sense. It um, but Garner is like, well, this just isn't enough evidence to convict Bucky, at which I agree with, because you have mm-hmm. no motive and no evidence that he did anything about it. Mm-hmm. Um. But now we go back to our Jill plot line, which is that yeah. she's in the hospital and everyone is sending her flowers. And 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 she also gets a copy of Wuthering Heights. Yet again, a pointless piece of this episode. Yep. But yeah, she's like, what am I going to do? I have to go back to work. And Mitch is like, don't worry about going back to work. And then she turns to him and Craig and goes, but I bet you guys are going to throw me a big welcome home party when I get back to work. And Mitch and Craig look at each other and go, Goop? Yeah, we totally are. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they all laugh about it. And mm. Mitch and Craig walk out of the hospital room. 
mm-hmm. and give mm. just the most mismatched facial expressions I've ever seen, where Craig Great is scene. incredibly intense, uh, mm-hmm. and Mitch just looks amazing. Um, <laughs> As he always does. Yeah. I mean, like, genuinely, he looks incredibly good in that scene. Like, it it almost looks like he has eyeliner on, but in a, like, really good way. Like, it, it yeah. Anyway. Oh, well, like, we're not, we're not dis... Like, we're not discounting that David Hasselhoff is also an attractive man. Oh, yeah. For like, sure. the dude, the dude's, the dude's a total hottie. Like, yeah. there's a reason, you know, a 10 is sniffing Mitch's ass. <laughs> like, like, we don't do that just as ironically. It's not a joke. I like, that's what it, that's the ultimate pleasurable experience to me is be sniffing his abs, you know? It's, yeah. Don't kink shame, okay? No, yeah, not at all. Like, don't start kink shaming now if you could have before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I mean, I agree with that entirely. All of it. Yes, yes. But you know who doesn't agree with what they're doing? It's Huey mm. and Louie because they mm-hmm. are debating leaving their life of shark crime. Um, <laughs> so they go down to their boat and talk about how bad shark crime is and how they don't want to do it anymore. And then mm-hmm. he overhears them and is like, "You're right. You shouldn't do." any more shark crime but the three of us are gonna go not do shark crime anymore and they're like but what if we tell the cops that you did shark crime and he goes they're not gonna believe you um and so the three of them go to retrieve the chum bucket transmitter and in this process they do commit shark crime against a shark Mm -hmm. they literally just attack a shark with like a harpoon or some shit and i'm like Whoa, like the whole the whole killing sharks thing was implied for the rest of the episode. And at this scene, you just see this shark like have something thrown at it and it like flips over. I'm like, like there was no warning before or after the episode I saw that no animals were hurt in making this episode. That's because they were they legit were. Yeah. I'm just now realizing that. And yeah, you're probably right, huh? I think clearly it comes across here that one, we're on the side of don't go murdering all these sharks. Um, But also, two, like sharks don't normally just go and attack the shit out of people. Um, But also, normally there is rules and laws against like shark poaching I would have to assume, or regulation to some degree. Uh, And one of those is probably don't hurt sharks for footage. Um, Because that's what you did. Yeah. If it wasn't a law, it should be. (laughs) Yeah. This. I don't know how this scene made it in. I, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so... The the two nephews find the shark transmitter, and then they get back to the boat. But what's that? It's the cops. And Bucky is like, I'm going to leave you. And then he does. And there's a big, long boat chase. But then Court shows <laughs> up to save the nephews. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But then, while the boat chase is going on, Bucky hits a real big wake and falls overboard. And Mitch is yep. like, fuck you, I'm not rescuing you until you confess. And yeah. that is where he fully completes his transformation into a beagle boy. Um, mm-hmm. Because now, now he too is a crimesman. 
now he's embracing the dark side of his stand. Yeah, yeah. He's a real Sith Lord. Mm-hmm. Remember, an only Sith deal in ab- absolutes. Mm-hmm. You know? Just like yeah. the absolute of... Uh, Sharks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My new uh, primary, uh, like, guiding philosophical principle in life is shark absolutism i was gonna say this episode could be improved by absolute vodka (laughs) (laughs) absolute vodka sponsor our show please i will absolutely to like your product if you do (laughs) absolute vodka sponsored by sharks (laughs) everyone loves absolute vodka but especially sharks Feed them. See what happens. Absolute vodka. Put a bunch of gummy sharks in a bottle and it might make it taste better. Actually, that that doesn't sound horrid. No. I mean, it does to a degree, but it doesn't sound like indigestible. I mean, back in college, we used to make like Skittles vodka where you would just put a bunch of Skittles in a bottle of vodka and then wait 24 hours and drink the vodka. So, But not like absolute, right? Because I mean, absolute sucks. Oh, it was much cheaper vodka than Absolute. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. <laughs> um, did you know, at least in New York, you can buy a handle of Crystal Palace vodka for nine ninety nine after tax? I did not. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, there is much worse vodka than Absolute, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> but now, now it is time for our final scene. Um, and it is... Boy, is it a scene. Um, Oh, boy. Because Eddie and Craig are going to go visit Jill now that this whole shark crime thing is wrapped up. Um, Mm -hmm. And they walk in the room, but instead of Jill, the room is full of flowers and the bed is empty and Mitch and Shawnee are hugging and crying. And I was like, oh, I guess she got moved to another ward or something. Because, again, this show has not in any way set up I mean, they they joke that she might die, but I did not actually think she was going to. I don't um, think they joked about her dying. They they straight up said she might. Yeah, that's true. But it it didn't feel serious. Um, I this scene, like, I don't think there's any way you watch this. Uh, okay, there's no way that I and most people who aren't named Morgan Thrapp <laughs> watch this scene and think it's anything but she's dead. Like, the bed is cleared, the flowers are there, and Shawnee and Mitch are up, standing up at the bottom of the bed, hugging. Like, you don't do that because you're like, she got moved and we have to walk to the other side of the hospital. I mean, okay, fair. Um, but also... <laughs> my legs, my chicken legs can't do it! Because Mitch had uh, stunt legs, uh, because David Hasselhoff's <laughs> legs were described by uh, by uh, Mikey Newman as chicken legs, so they would get someone else to stand in for his legs. Wow. But yeah, so, okay, so in my defense, it didn't take me that long to figure out that she had died. I... My brain just refused to accept it because it was so stupid that I was like, there's no way that's actually what they did. Like, I was like, oh, there's some really dumb explanation for what happened. And then, no, it turns out that, in fact, uh, she's dead. And I spent the rest of this episode yelling at the screen, what the fuck? No, come on. What the fuck? 
Really? Wait, what? Come on. <laughs> what? No. Wait, what? What? <laughs> what? Come on. Come on. So Jill has died of a blood embolism. And as we all know, when uh, a when a stand dies, so does its stand user. But somehow Mitch is still here, which makes me think that maybe Mitch has a third stand, which allows him to stay alive after the Jill stand mm-hmm. dies. And that's it all wraps it up. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, then then we get um, a montage of shots of Jill. And intercut with everyone looking sad for like three minutes. What is so what is this song in your version? I something very unmemorable and smooth jazz. (laughs) Gotcha. Because I have an original song. Oh, really? Over this? Yes. Yes. So do you want to hear about it? Oh, absolutely. So this song is called Don't Cry Because It's Over, uh, which is, oh boy, uh, and it's by Kiddo. Now, this is confusing because this kiddo is kiddo in all caps, and she's from Sweden. There's also Anna Shalon, who is from France, who goes by kiddo with only the K capitalized. And then there's the 80s funk band called Kiddo, which is made (laughs) up of former members of Parliament and Funkadelic. So it was very confusing researching this. Um... This song is also just the most goodbye montage possible. This is so smarmy. I actually want this song to play on our final episode of this podcast. Um, (laughs) Because it's just too perfect. Um, Remind me in five years. (laughs) Yes, I'll remember, I think. Here are the lyrics. Do I stop loving you just because you're gone? When the music stops, I still hear your song. I feel you close to me. I'll never let you go. I wanted you to know, through all the highs and lows, don't cry because it's over. Goodbye doesn't mean the end. It just means we'll all meet again. Time doesn't stand still. I know, right? Oh, God. This is a three-minute song. You think Ow. you think it'll last forever. For now, I'll be waiting till we can be together. Don't cry because it's over. Don't cry because it's over. Don't cry because it's over. Goodbye doesn't mean the end. It just means we'll meet again. Now, imagine stretching that to three <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I mean, having heard some of the other original songs for the remaster, I can, in fact, imagine it, but I wish I couldn't. This kiddo is she has an okay voice. And so I was like, okay, like what else? Like I researched these artists and I try to listen to something else that they've done recently. And mm, 99% of the time I hate it. Uh, This is also one of those times (laughs) uh, because uh, she went from apparently making country pop, which as we've established, I hate. Um, to making more electronic music. Uh, and she is also teamed up with, uh, I can describe it as SoundCloud rappers. Okay. Uh, at, to make what I like to call uh, grimy country. Um, a thing I did not know would mix, which is country pop with like really shitty SoundCloud rappers. Uh, and it all sounds like someone puked. Just... <laughs> Puked for like three minutes. Okay. Um, honestly, 
I would rather listen to Tokyo Anal Dynamite <laughs> than I would. That's going to be what I'm comparing each song to. Would I rather listen to Tokyo Anal Dynamite or an album of this person's music? Tokyo Anal Dynamite. I love that that's become the like unofficial album mascot of our podcast. <laughs> Do you? I mean, I mean, it means that one of these days I'll probably listen to it, and that's a thing. <laughs> I, I'm so, like, I can listen to it. It doesn't mean I like it, but like, I listen to enough noise and metal and punk and stuff that like I can sort of I can get by. I don't think most people can stand Tokyo Adel Dynamite. So okay, maybe it's our official thing. Okay, uh, I just apologize to anybody who tries. <laughs> uh, but as Morgan said, this is it's like there are so few scenes of Jill in this show that they have to use all new scenes. Yeah, <laughs> for this montage uh, of like Jill looking like a normal person and like smiling because Jill doesn't really smile much either. Um, which, God, like they so horribly misused sean weatherly in this yeah. show yeah like like imagine if sean weatherly was used like to a degree that they use erica leniak she'd be a great character yeah but they don't yeah i i kept assuming that she was going to get to the level of erica leniak because i think she is a good actor and like mm-hmm. jill is an interesting character by the standards of baywatch and so i was excited <laughs> for them to like actually delve into her as an actor and as a person but nope we aren't gonna see that so Mm. yep so that brings us to the end of the episode um so before we do our ratings i just want to you know bring up again this is cited as the highest rated episode of baywatch uh so with that in mind while we also do our ratings uh we're gonna give our normal you know one to ten uh, one is walking on the beach, you know, muddy beach, and there's thorns or prickly shit. I don't fucking know <laughs> under your feet. Antenna sniffing Mitch's abs. Alongside that, I also want you to talk about if you think that was correct, and if you can think of other episodes of the show so far that are better. I will say I definitely don't think this is the best ever episode of Baywatch. Um, I am now struggling to remember episodes that I liked better this than this one, but that's less a function of thinking that this episode was particularly good and more a function of my memory being so bad that as soon as we finish recording an episode of the podcast, I do forget the entire plot of the episode we just watched. Um, <laughs> but I mean, honestly, like there was there was a decent amount that happened this episode, but it also dragged like quite a bit. And the mm-hmm. Jill dying plotline was handled so poorly that it like it really dings this episode for me. I don't know if we wanted to get into like our numerical ratings yet. Um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think I would give this like a five. Um, I think it had some interesting moments. I think that like. Maybe not all of those interesting moments were intentionally interesting and were, in fact, just Mm -hmm. me enjoying campy, bad television um, and laughing at it. Um, 
but then also like yeah the Jill plotline was so dumb um the like whole Hobie and Thorpe plotline basically goes nowhere and means nothing <laughs> um mm-hmm. and yeah i mean it was kind of just fine yeah i'll say a 5 is the experience of being the one kid out of four who actually gets rescued instead of just swimming off further into the sea. Um, (laughs) It's like, hey, at least you're alive and like, that's good. But you are going to deal with the trauma of uh, maybe your other three friends dying. That feels a little bit uh, depressing for a five, but fuck it. That's that's where we are. (laughs) Uh, How about you, Michael? What were your kind of thoughts on this episode's ranking with regards to the wider Baywatch universe. I'm with you. I this I don't I don't think this is the best episode. Um I could think of off the top of my head two episodes I remember rating higher. Uh, I I'm sure there's more than two that I like that I, that I've rated higher, but the ones I specifically remember are Second Wave, mm-hmm. uh which was, you know, uh, the blast from the past for Eddie. Yeah. Um because the villain was quite good for that episode. Uh, and then Cruise Ship, which had its surprisingly well-done depiction of domestic abuse. Yeah. Um, I think both of those episodes established better writing than this. Uh, now, I think also... Um, I think Cruise Ship was also part, uh, partially written by Terry Irwin. Oh, okay. Um, it really boggles my mind how how like i understand why this is high rated in terms of wow like you killed off a main character but for anybody who's watched every episode and maybe anybody who's even listened to this podcast think about how many times you heard us talking about jill comparatively Mm -hmm. she's not she's not really a main character yeah she is she's She's an afterthought. She's got main character energy, but doesn't have main mm-hmm. character screen time. Right, right. Uh, this would be... It's kind of like... Uh, I'll give two examples. One, for me, that's always resonated is in Spider-Man. When... Uh, uh, it, it matters when Uncle Ben dies. Because you've established Spider-Man as like, Oh, Uncle Ben taught him morality and raised him. And it's really sudden. Right. Um but it's more like when Gwen Stacy dies uh, in the comics, where it's just like, uh, you dated her, I guess, and she was okay, but we all know you were going to date Mary Jane. It's like, we all know that there's like other more important characters, uh, and you served a purpose in relationship to the main characters, but like, yeah, the story continues perfectly fine without you there. There's, yeah, like, I, I know the next episode is going to deal with people clearly dealing with this, but like at the same time, not to be, you know, that dick, but like who cares? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't get it. Um, I'm positive the show has to get better than this because we've already seen it be better than this. And I think this episode is maybe good for people who aren't watching this show in the context of 2020, maybe, uh, but also don't watch television that's better than this on the regular, yeah. like we do. Um, yeah, so I, in an effort to upstage you and going to give this a 4.5, uh, and I would say a 4.5 is living into your 30s and attempting to read Wuthering Heights, yet 
getting two chances to finish it and just still not finishing it. So instead, what you have to do is you have to listen to Kate Bush's 1978 album, The Kick Inside, specifically for its lead single called Wuthering Heights. That is about (laughs) Wuthering Heights. Um, But you only listen to that album and you never get to her seminal, uh, you know, amazing album, The Hounds of Love from 1985, even though this is the year 1990 and you've had five years to listen to this album. What the fuck, Jill? Um, (laughs) And you could have had just like, you could have been listening to Hounds of Love the whole time, but no, instead you're listening to Wuthering Heights. It's just like, it's a good song, but like not the greatest song. Um, Yeah, it's... Yeah. This episode was a disappointment. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, but next episode, do you want to hear about next episode? Boy, do I. So the next episode is called The Big Race. Uh, and this is an episode where it's going to be a little bit special for us. We have another guest mm-hmm. on, uh, which is going to be really interesting to see how they deal with all the context of Jill dying. <laughs> um, so the IMDb plot for this next episode is Court promises to come up with a load of cash for a nursing home. That seems out of character. Okay. Uh, but he needs Mitch and Craig's help to compete with each other in a water skiing race with a big cash prize. <laughs> okay. Um, meanwhile, Shawnee is still grief stricken and afraid to go back in the water in the wake of Jill's death. Wow. That may go really well or not. Um, now, the Baywatch wiki says Court enters a race to win the prize money and fulfill a pledge he makes on a yearly basis. Oh, okay. All right. Meanwhile, Shawnee anguishes over the events of the past few weeks and del- deliberates her future. Okay. So that seems interesting. We're dealing with the trauma of Jill dying. Uh, but wow, I like, again, the cruise ship taught me that it can do this, uh, but I do not trust this show to do it well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, so Morgan, with that in mind, is there anything else you had to say about this episode? No. I mean, I think, yeah, I think I'm I'm genuinely very confused why this is considered the highest rated, or not even just considered, why this is the highest rated episode of Baywatch. And I would be, I would be so curious to know the context around that. Like, I'm, I'm sure it's just jail dying. Yeah, I'm I mean I'm sure the Jill dying thing certainly helps. Um but really? <laughs> like, yeah. There's there like I I know for a fact that there's other episodes that are rated around the same level that episodes I thought were better are um as we go on. And I know there's an there's episodes that are worse. There's an episode next season. Uh I think it's next season. Yeah, it is. That's just the lowest rated episode of Baywatch, oh, wow. which like way lower than Armored Car, way lower. Um, so we might need to prepare something for that. <laughs> um, but uh, like I 100 percent think it's like Psycho, the movie where it's like everybody goes to see it because holy shit, like this main character dies. Mm-hmm. Uh but the difference between Psycho and this is Psycho's that's good. good. <laughs> yeah, and this is not. Yeah. This is a bummer. We're ending on a bummer. I know, I know. But it's just like, yeah, we had such high hopes for this episode. And I don't think it was terrible. Um, no. But it definitely was not the best episode of Baywatch. 
I think the you know the last episode of Baywatch maybe even was better. Like yeah, uh, I don't know. Like e- Eclipse had like cool sci-fi moments, and you know we. Uh, oh no, it was like goofy, funny. Yeah, uh, I think at times. Yeah, uh, like it was boring, but like. <laughs> it, I, I don't know. Like, I think even even Eclipse was better than this. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> hey, I mean, at least we only have uh, 230 more episodes to get through. So. <laughs> uh, look, the fun never stops here on Baywatch Rookie School. It's true. It's true. Until it does. And then we get to play this goodbye song. <laughs> I'm excited to get to play the goodbye song. Um, (laughs) yeah, it's, it's a, it's an interesting show to watch in our present day. And it has definitely been, I say it has as if we're ending it, which we're very much not, but yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. I think even with an episode like this, that's not particularly interesting just to see how far, like media culture has progressed and in some ways mm-hmm. how much it hasn't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think we're really going to see the effects of that as you get into like season three when Pam Anderson gets in yeah. and then we're just really going to see what all the hype is about. Yeah. Cause that like, this is, this is like Baywatch light compared to like Baywatch later on. And I imagine, you know, we're going to, we're going to have more bad episodes, but uh, I imagine we're going to have a very different opinion of the show then. <laughs> yeah, probably. But yeah, I guess all that's really left to say is thanks for listening to this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to find us on Twitter, our show handle is at Rookie School Pod. I'm at Morgan P. Thrap. And I am at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. We'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. And shark bites.